Well, is it yourself? How are you getting on? Welcome to episode 29 of the Kevin Doherty podcast. My guest today is Patrick Noonan. Pa has been a guest on the podcast before, and today we chatted about a bunch of stuff, including Killing is Easy, a documentary about the late, great Patrice O'Neill, moving to Mexico, hiking and camping in Ireland for beginners, the challenges of solo through hiking, completing a 100-hour water fast, the process of writing a screenplay, and Tribe by Sebastian Younger. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you help spread the word by recommending it to a friend or sharing it on your Instagram stories and tagging me at the Kevin Doherty podcast. Thanks for listening. Patrick Noonan, great to see you again. How's 2021 keeping? Yeah, it's all right, I guess. I mean, it's literally no different. Or even worse, actually. But it's not the same, really. Everybody was kind of thinking, once we get over 2020, 2021 yeah. will be this new thing. But, my God, it just feels like purgatory at this stage. Or limbo or one of those, anyway. Yeah, literally, there was like Christmas broken up. There was like a gap in between it. But literally, it was like no different. Once January came around, it was the exact same as December. Like, for me, right? How was Christmas for you, being over in Sicily? I watched Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Oh, three <laughs> I myself, like, yeah, yeah, well, I fell asleep like halfway through two towers. But that was literally my, that was my Christmas. Like. Two, uh, towers, so I, two Towers is probably my favourite out of the three of them. I think the, the uh, most of uh, I don't know. I think, I think Two Towers is just so rewatchable. Like. Yeah, I think the Fellowship is good because it just has that nostalgic feel to it. Because that was like the first way you fell in love with it in cinema. And it's like, like before. Remember, like, you know what, 12 or 13 or whatever came out, and it was like four, two towers came out. The anticipation, you're watching Fellowship over and over and over again. So it has that kind of nostalgic feel for me. That is true. Uh, but yeah, but uh, literally, I was over here in Sicily by myself. Uh, my sisters uh, sent me uh, like a care package with a bunch of tails and stuff like that, but that didn't arrive until like New Year. <laughs> and they <laughs> did. <hey, hey. laughs> They, filled, they said they filled a bunch of like uh, chocolates and tails and stuff like that. But I got it. It was just tails. I sent them a photo of it. And they said like half the stuff they sent was missing. No so way. Someone in customs or so either took Italians. it, take it or, or maybe there was some fucking, I don't know, code rules or something. You can't have this. But then why send it all? Like it's just food. Well, I don't know what the fuck happened there. But I got a bunch of tails in January. That's good. <laughs> When's the last time you were in the country now? Was it last summer? Uh, September. Ah, yeah, yeah. And uh, since Christmas, what have you been up to? Like, uh, I haven't really been in touch with you much over the last month or two. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a lockdown here as well. It's, probably, it's not as strict as uh, yours is in Ireland, I don't think. Uh, like, you can, there's no five kilometer radius. So, uh, but realistically, it makes no difference to my life. I literally spend 99% of my time in my apartment go to the shops every now and then and the uh, good thing is I live by the beach so I can walk on the beach in the morning or whatever. Uh, but beyond but beyond that I'm just been uh, yeah playing around playing around my own little projects as as before and uh, there's literally no difference. 
And so it's kind of the big thing now is like, before I think last time we were talking, I was saying that my, my plans for this year were to, to do a hike in the US. And now it's just like, that's, that's out of the window, like it's not even gonna happen. So now so I kind of had a kind of a thinking about maybe I should I kind of a, it's like, what should I do next? Like, should I stay here in the back gardens, get, go back to normal job or that kind of stuff? Uh, so that's what kind of playing with, playing around with for the past few months really. Have you come to any conclusions or is it just kind of like a little bit of ambiguity at the moment? Uh, so it's kind of pretty recently. So I actually had a bunch of interviews. Uh, so I applied for a bunch of jobs in Dublin, London, all over the UK, Amsterdam, and fucking Kenya. <laughs> was a bunch of jobs over the place. Like. Uh, and I had a bunch of interviews. I actually even had interviews signed up for yesterday, not today, but I cancelled them. Uh, so it's kind of come at the point where it's like I was just applying for jobs because it was like eh, something to do as opposed to I want the job. You know what I mean? That's kind of just uh, and like I think that comes across the interviews as well where you're talking to someone. And it's like yeah, I don't. They call me. They say, "What do you want this job?" I'm like, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, and so kind of I went for so that's probably the biggest thing. So the past like two months, I'd say I've been in a bit of a rut where I just because I'm lockdown is just so tedious. I'd say like one of the biggest things was I definitely neglected my exercise. So I was just very sedentary. And I think this weekend I went for this big massive long walk and it was uh, just cleared my head and it was so good. Man. What sort of what sort of distance are you talking when you say long walk? I mean it was just two or three hours. And so like pretty much kind of I almost walked in the next next town over almost, but not really because again I was walking along the coast, along, along beaches and some some roads. Again, not too crazy. It's just, just stroll almost like you. Know. Uh, and the weather, the good thing, the weather's gotten good here again. Now it's pretty sunny in that sense. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, go along that and wrote that uh, stroll kind of clear to my head. I can't let you know. Fuck it. I'm just gonna keep focusing on my own projects and you go down to ship, go down to ship. Like, <laughs> there's a rationality that nearly comes with getting back into a bit of exercise as well like if you're if you're just sitting with your thoughts in your head like yeah you can't get any perspective on what's going on like I, I've kind of been in a, a similar enough situation where I don't know like the I just have apathy towards the whole lockdown at this stage you're just you're just a little bit fed yeah. up with it and you're hoping that this is the last one as in we can't just keep pressing control alt delete on life and just hoping that everything oh, yeah. just doesn't fall apart yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, I, obviously, I'm not Martin at the moment, but I actually still keep up with the news there. And I was like, well, like, you know, Martin was saying, they filed to mayor. And then I saw, I think today, actually, it was like, they were saying, if they wanted zero COVID policy, you'd be never filed until November. And I was like, oh, God, like, it's crazy. Yeah. No, you can't just shut everything down. Uh, but again, I think, obviously, now we have the vaccines, which is obviously fantastic, obviously. Uh, but like everyone's kind of waiting. It's like, we know it, the, the end's inside. If we didn't have the vaccines, I think people would just be like, they just give up, I would say. That is true. It, it is weird as well, the mentality where it's like, at the start of COVID, everybody is just praying to God for this vaccine. It's like, when is this going to come? Mm. And then as soon as the vaccine gets released, there's this lack of trust in it with like a faction of the population where it's like, I'm not taking that. Yeah, well, I think... There might be a vocal minority, but there's still a very small minority. I would say, I think, given the chance, most people are like, yeah, give me that fucking vaccine right now. Yeah, like, I'm taking it in a heartbeat. Like, I don't give a fuck. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, the sooner you can get back to a bit of normality, is it's just, 
all the better. It was weird to see um, protests on Grafton Street at the start of the month. That was bizarre. Like you, you just, you just, you just expect to see it in the US, but seeing it on Irish streets is a bit fucked up. But again, it's like at most, was what five hundred at most five hundred. I say risk of three hundred people. You know what I mean? It's such a tiny minority of people. Uh, and again, in some like if you're like if you're unemployed and you're just by yourself and whatever, I can. You can definitely see the kind of the, I can empathize with the kind of the, the anger that's out there, like I mean, but um, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to solve anything. Just, yeah. All we can do is just kind of wait a few, wait a few months until vaccines roll out and hope for the best. That but, is it, like, and like, uh, like it, a protest like that, it's not going to change the government's policy overnight. Like, you can't yeah, just yeah. you can't just have one like tiny uprising. Tell that to nineteen sixteen rising man. <laughs> Blood <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice, you know. <laughs> um, the Patrice O'Neill documentary, Pa. Mm. What did you think? Uh, yeah, it's really good. Uh, I mean, got killing is easy. It's really good. Uh, so, so, obviously, I think about like most is because it's kind of it's bringing it's bringing Patrice to a wider audience, which is kind of. As a diehard fan of Patrice, I'm just I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Then, as a diehard fan of Patrice, I know what they got right, what they got wrong, what they left out, that kind of stuff. And to me, kind of, I think he did get, did a good um, job of covering his philosophies in many respects and why he was so important to the comedy scene, like because he was a truth sayer, that kind of stuff. But one of the biggest things that kind of really annoyed me was they didn't have. Anthony from Whooping Anthony on it. Oh my God, what a glaring omission. Like, like I, I, was, I was happy in general with what they did because again, as somebody who loved Patrice's work, you're all, always only going to get a minute uh, amount of feedback yeah. of what you want. Yeah. But it's a two, not, two hour documentary. Not having Anthony, like the person, one of the people who would have known him so well. Like, yeah. And it's like, Patrice's stand-up is legendary, but what he's known for, what he's loved for, is his appearances in ONA. Like that's what, that's what the fandom love, really. I mean, the hundreds of hours of him on on radio. And ONA, so Opie and Anthony, like the best interactions were with Anthony, because Opie is just kind of the guy pushing the buttons almost, and Anthony yeah. is the, the comedy behind it, really. And yeah, like so pretty much any kind of legendary piece of radio with Patrice. Has Anthony involved in some capacity? Like, you know I mean, so it's, it's, that was a glaring omission. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, fair enough if you, if you could argue that they were doing it for time or whatever for, for the documentary, for the narrative of the documentary. But I don't know. It kind of feels like it was kind of a political move because now Anthony is this crazy right winger. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it kind of felt like feel he's nearly untouchable. Yeah. And which kind of goes against the kind of the entire philosophy of they're trying to make in the documentary because like that Patrice's thing was talk to anyone make fun of anyone doesn't matter like just uh but and now they're comedy century kind of these gatekeepers say no no that's that's too offensive that these two 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 right wing now like whatever uh and i don't know so that was the biggest thing but uh it was fun to see Patrice's baby photos whatever that kind of stuff you know yeah uh, and the kind of the little animations of kind of anecdotes they did was good, good to see as well. But um, see, as I said, it's it's only good because there are more people will 
Moshtash involved in wearing the trees and his comedy, and that's, that's the only good thing, really. Um, you mentioned that there were some things that they got wrong. I, when I was watching it, there wasn't anything that stood out to me. What are you talking about there? Uh, the technique probably there, there, it's more like the wrong by by omission, like by by not doing that, ah, thing, by I not treating people that type of thing. And like they, uh, what's his name? Bonnie McFarlane was talking about his uh, view of women, and I was like, yeah, that, they seem to get the the they're viewing the, the through today's lens as opposed to the lens of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and but overall, I think they got most things right. I thought there was a little bit, maybe too much, uh, like Patrice is the God. It just went over to this next person. Patrice is the God. Oh, he's unbelievable. They, they kind of, yeah, yeah. they could have summarized that maybe a little bit quicker because there's there was so much maybe detail in his earlier life that was just skipped. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, like one of the, the big omissions I would say is like, and the kind of, like the fact that Patrice was arrested when he was uh, like 16 years old uh, for statutory rainforism, whatever it was. For, he was like 16, she, she was 15. And all the kind of these very formative experiences in Patrice's uh, life, they kind of they were going just glossed over. The one thing you wanted to mention, again, it's kind of like they were wrong by, by omitting things, by not including certain life events that you would kind of, that you can look at Patrice's philosophies later in life and actually you can draw a line between that experience and the things he says later like why he was such a misogynist <laughs> you know what I mean yeah I thought that too it's hard to believe he's gone 10 years now like yeah that's fucking crazy well it's kind of is it hard to believe so was, was I even a fan of Teresa 10 years ago so. yeah that's <laughs> true you you got it I suppose you just kind of with YouTube you can just live vicariously through listening to somebody you know what I mean so you think they're always yeah. with you or something like but what a fucking guy like no no I still listen to him pretty much nearly every day like he's kind of like, I think we were talking about last time where I was on, uh, like, Patrice, uh, Carl Pilkington used to be the guy where I was just to go to sleep. Now, Patrice is kind of my guy where I just listen to him sleep. Um, and so, what are your thoughts on what's next for you? Like, you mentioned you might have a, a certain destination in mind. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> Mexico City. Uh, so, uh, in April, I just actually booked the flights there today. Um, uh, so I got a flight to Frankfurt and then Frankfurt up to Mexico City. Um, and I've been to Mexico City before. It's a really cool city. I've been there two, two, three times, three times. Um, yeah, so it's good weather, really good food. It's kind of what I like. And again, so I kind of like what I was talking before, where it's like, past, yeah, like so just very recently made a decision of, okay, I'm not, I can very easily go back to the normal life and get the nine to five job and get to go to the handcuffs. So like, Product management, the job I was in before, is like it's a well-paying job. Like I mean, so I can walk into pretty easily, pretty guaranteed job of like eighty k, hundred k, like you know, realistically. And like that's not that's not a crazy dream. Like I mean, so it's like it's so enticing when you're just grinding away, you're making making a fucking dollar here and a dollar there by yourself. But it's like that dollar you make yourself is so much more rewarding than that paycheck you get doing some bullshit job. Uh, and so I kind of yeah, I made that decision now. I'm just kind of fully invested in my own entrepreneurship and uh, I'm just going to pursue that as much as I can. Um, and kind of so, kind of just make that almost like in my mind an emphatic break, 
get the fuck out of Europe because like, I can't literally can't I can't legally work in Mexico or the US. It's like boom, I go there, I can do all my stuff online, and then uh, so I, don't, I can't even apply for jobs here. You know I mean? So that's kind of I wanted to just like uh, an absolute break my mind so that's kind of has to light a fire on me because I think for the past year, maybe six months, whatever we'll say, I've been working on my entrepreneurship kind of stuff and my own little different things, but it's just like I'm also just. If I'm being honest, I'm just slapping about it to nothing. You know I mean, just watching Netflix and YouTube, and it's just like, am I being as productive as I could be? Definitely not. I'm doing something. I'm going in the right direction, whatever. But like, am I doing the equivalent of a nine to five for myself? Do you know what I mean? No, I'm not putting that those that forty hours in. I'm not even doing that. I'd say like, you know. And so, kind of, I want you to just kind of uh, get into a mindset where. Uh, just to kind of artificially create that fire underneath me to kind of uh, really uh, light that fire to go full on in, in entrepreneurship as opposed to just it's kind of where now in the past year I've been one foot in one foot out yeah yeah and it's just like yeah go all in or like go all in the nine to five job or go all in entrepreneurship don't do half and half uh, so that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking about so yeah Mexico City going to move there after uh, Easter uh, I can stay there for six months, and by that point, hopefully, most of COVID stuff should be pretty much done. So, like, that'll be up to like November. Do you know what I mean? So, you think mostly maybe mostly done there? Um, if not, I'll just yeah, yeah. A six months deadline to figure it out then. Can I ask, um, when you say dedicating yourself to entrepreneurship, what does that mean to you? What sort of things will you be doing? Yeah, well, that's kind of the part of it. like. A bunch of ideas I could work on. Uh, so, so I need to find out. So I need to okay, prioritize what exactly do I want to do. Most it'll probably be some building some form of websites. That'll probably be my say initial prioritization. Uh, but again, I can't. That's the thing. It's literally, I've I went for that walk on Sunday. That's what I decided on. This, do you know what I mean? Uh, it's what Tuesday now, Wednesday. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like I can't, I'm still in that I'm still in that kind of flux uh, where I'm fully decided. But that's I just say yeah, I'm going this direction, and like right now I'm saying yeah, I'll be building some form of websites. But yeah, weeks time, who knows? I might discover some. I have some like product ideas I could do for hiking. Actually, think like hiking inventions almost like actually physical products I could build. Actually, that's a lot more run up, uh, like a long, longer lead time. Uh, so it's probably there's a bunch of things I could do, and it's probably, there'll probably be a bunch of things I could work on simultaneously. Some will be more short term, short term, some will be longer term, where it could be a, I can slowly tip away, and some I can go balls deep and get them get some revenue coming in that way. Uh, but yeah, so I can't answer emphatically what I'm going to be do, doing, but it'll be be online for most because I'm sure I have my laptop and my bag of few clothes. That's it. That I work out of my laptop. That's my, that's my that's my criteria. I'm not gonna like open up a laundromat. Like I guess like, that's not on the cards. But you know, as long as it would be some form of online business uh, in some capacity. There is a great feeling to making that decision though, and kind of cutting the ties from that other path because, like as you talked about that that steady job or those golden handcuffs, they're appealing when when things just aren't moving the way you want to right now. And it's it's a it can be a tough decision to go. When when do I know to go all in, or when do I know to go all right? This this doesn't make sense. It's like lots of people find themselves at those crossroads, and 
the vast majority of people never really make that decision. They just let the decision make it for them. They go further and further down one road mm. and then it, they feel that they can't take another path, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of it's interesting because I, I, I've been here before. Like I've made the decision before to go pursue some form of entrepreneurship, but it's like the allure of just a cozy life, a standard job, especially, I think, I do think the lockdown COVID-19 situation uh, makes that even, makes the, the lure of the safe life even more alluring. So right now, I mean, it's like, if I was just, say, in, in normal times, uh, and I was just, like, booking those flights from Mexico, like, I, uh, like, I originally was going to transit through the US, uh, like, not even leave the airport, but, uh, and then fly out of Mexico City. But because of COVID-19, there's a whole bunch of uh, rigmarole kind of things. Like, if you come from Italy, you can't transit through the US. You, like, just arbitrary rules for the COVID-19. Obviously, they can make their own rules, whatever, but it's just like, uh, even that little small, that's a, a small example of just how living in this situation makes things even more uh, stressful. Whereas if I was in normal times, I just book a flight to Mexico, yeah, no bother, do you know what I mean? Uh, so it's kind of, uh, the, the times now make it make the idea of being in a in that standard nine to five life much more uh, enticing. But yeah, like it's these are the cards I'm dealt with. I mean, I'm not, I, can't, I could go back to that job, this standard job, but like no, it's like I'll just be. I've, I've been in this point before where it's like I for whatever reason I can I, I can get to the job. I actually part of management. I enjoy doing the work. It's just just there comes a point where it's just like I've auctioned my passion for something else. Do you know what I mean? That's what it feels like. I do think there are certain people, uh, there are some people who they, they, they're perfectly fine making a trade off. Okay, I'll, I auction eight hours of my day, five days a week, and I get the, a good life outside of work, like with my family or whatever. Uh, but for whatever reason, that's not that, that's not what I want, but the work itself to be meaningful. Because there's some people who want um, like they don't they don't they don't care about what they just work in my system. I actually I want to be fully invested in my work. I mean, I want my work to be enjoyable, and I, and I want to work on something that makes me fully fully passionate. Like I like work on where it doesn't feel like I'm working on it. It just feels like I'm something exploring something. And I can't, for whatever reason, like when I'm working for someone, working with a company, I just can't really do that. Obviously, that's not to say at some point in the future, I won't go back to find a job. Like if I have no fucking money at some point in the future, like that's quite possible. But at this point in time, I have money in my pocket. And like if I got, I think if I, if I went back to a job now, there'd be a point in the future where I would kick myself. So like you had, you had that two or three year period where you could have pursued something. And you didn't. And so even if I pursue this next, next two or three years, I fall flat in space on a broke motherfucker in a few years' time, I'll go find a job. That's fine. I, that's, then I'll be, I can be happy with myself that I, I at least tried. Um, so that's kind of my thinking at the moment. Isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think the, the regret of not giving it a real go would linger much longer than the grind that you're probably going to go into. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for that, man. Um, like at the moment with me, I'm in a steady job. Uh, I'm on furlough, so I have much more time. But you're kind of just waiting for work to restart again. And like I work in the licensed trade, so 
who the fuck knows yeah. if that's really even going to come back. But I feel in this, I feel that I'm just in this little bit of a, a limbo at the moment where you're just, you're waiting yeah. for something to happen and I'm not taking any action myself just because of the current. That's the biggest thing for the past year, past year, it's been static. It just, it's been like, I can't, like, there's no momentum, even no matter what I try, just like, you just, you just feel like, uh, like, I had to cancel this PCT show I got, I mean, I had to cancel it twice now, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I was planning on doing the last year, uh, so, and, and obviously planning before that, I was planning to do it in 2019, I was like planning from 2019, do you know what I mean? So I had all my gear laid out and all the stuff, cancel that, and then it's just kind of, kind of waiting that whole year, okay, will it open up again next year? And like, so just kind of, this whole leap there, and it's not unique to me, obviously, it's as well, this, Past year has just been static. It's been waiting. It's just like putting life on hold. Yeah, and so it's very frustrating and it's very tedious. Uh, on your marks, get yeah. set, stay. It's basically yeah, right. exactly. That's thing. It's like it's like you're like, like when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. There's like there's action. Can we join the military? We go to fucking fuck is storm already. Here, where's our war? Stay at home. Oh, oh fuck. That's, <laughs> <it's>, it's, <laughs> There's, there's no release yeah there's no enemy you're just looking at everybody else yeah. just going they might yeah. have it they might have it all that that she looks like a super spreader nobody knows like it's just yeah exactly. it's just wait and see like um, yeah. i have to say uh your hike across ireland inspired me for this year i'm not going to do the same mental no. mileage that you did <laughs> but i'm really into the idea of um looking into a bit of through hiking this year like as a beginner um if i was starting to look for equipment what sort of things should i be looking at or as somebody who's done it before what would you recommend because i'm i have to i have to be honest i have a bit of a, a problem with online shopping that if i get into something i'll buy all the gear and i'll probably use 10 percent of it so i don't want yeah. to make that fuck up that i've constantly did in my life well in fact, like it's well known in the joy community or the ultralight community it's also ultralight is kind of a almost a philosophy you know, of uh, for hikers, where it's like you, you, your base weight is only what you're excluding, whatever you carry, excluding your water and your food, uh, what that weight is. And it's kind of like getting, using, having the least amount of weight in your pack so you can go further. And it's kind of like only bringing exactly what you need. Uh, so it won't get into too much, but it's like, uh, Essentially, you like for example, like one of the things like a classic example for ultra hiker would be you have a toothbrush. Okay, what do you do? You cut the handle off because you only need a tip. Because like every gram in your back is you're walking, you're climbing up the hill, you fucking feel it. It's, it doesn't matter who you are. You know what I mean? And so it's a matter of efficiency as well. It's like every every extra gram you carry is an extra calorie you have to carry in food, and therefore. Every extra, an extra, every extra gram of food you have to carry is leaves more calories to use. It's kind of it's kind of a spiraling circle. Um, in terms of getting started, it's kind of interesting. I think probably won't like this, but uh, you have to go through the pain. Yeah, that's that's, of, what, I, that's what I thought you were going to say. As in, like, but that's the thing. Like, it's it's the same with everything. Like, if you go on holidays or you go anywhere. You look at your bag and you're like, I didn't touch half of the stuff, like, but you just yeah, you just think, Oh, I'll need this, I'll need this, I'll need this. Yeah, that's the biggest and I've I've been I went through it when I was in Mongolia, I brought way too much shit. Like it was outrageous to much of shit I like one like fishing rods, like fishing. 
but is you you go through that process because uh, it's it's the hard it's the only way you learn it's just you walk up a hill carrying everything on your back you get to talk and go what the fuck and so you, the media get you get back to home you can you drop everything out you look at everything and say okay didn't use that uh that could I can cut that in half whatever you mean uh so it's kind of the only things I would say yeah so the best thing I would do is do a bunch of shakedown hikes where you just uh, load up your gear what you will bring and test it out beforehand that's because they test it in small there's plenty of people who like to do a big they start a big long hike and the first time they set up their tent is the first night out so like they're fucking crazy like you know yeah yeah uh, so like you should be, you should be well used to all your gear you're bringing on a long hike obviously I mean it's all relative like what's a long hike like some people a week is a long hike or two nights whatever you know um but Ireland's kind of actually a good place to start out because in the summer, at least, like it's very rare that you're not going to get hypothermia very realistically. It's not, you're not going to, there's no one, you never care if you're frozen. I know, yeah, fucking you just froze as well. Balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're back now, you're back. Are we back? Sorry, work away, man. Say that again. No, no, uh, where's where we cut off? Uh, just literally like 10 seconds ago. It, like literally, um, you were talking about like the gear you need. Yeah, cool. Uh, don't really me. <laughs> I know, yeah. I saw, I saw it freeze and I was like, I hope he doesn't see it. And I hope he just finishes the sentence. <laughs> oh, God. Fucking technology at it again. Uh, but essentially, it's like, yeah, get, get, get used to your gear, uh, play around with it. And Aaron is good for testing gear because, like, worst case scenario, like, for example, when I was doing the hike in Aaron, it was August. Remember, there was a bunch of storms that came in in August. And first storm I held up in Cork because there was like a status red warning. But I was out there uh, for the second storm. I can remember. Francis, maybe I can remember what I was now. But uh, I was, and I was in a wind farm. So there was like. No way. And yeah, so there was, I was in a spot that people looked at and said, it's a best million here because it's fucking windy. There's a giant <laughs> storm coming. Like, and also, another kind of fact was that it was uh, there was the wind farm over here, and then everything else around it was a bog. So I couldn't. So was, and the storm was it's going to be pissing rain and high winds. So I can't camp in the bog because if it's raining, I'll be washed out. If I camp in the wind farm, I'll be literally in a wind tunnel uh, where it's going to be super windy. Uh, that's what I actually I found a little little crevice in the near the wind farm, uh, and I pitched up my tent and yeah I, I even had like giant rocks on my pegs to keep it down uh, hunker down. And the wind came in night knocked the tent over multiple times like, and uh, so I was just running around with underwear and pissing rain like hammering stakes and keeping <laughs> <and> just, like, <laughs> but I mean, it was and it's kind of like that's one of my that was one of my biggest fears I'd say is I'm just like. As a hiker, there's kind of two areas of fears. It's like one of like serious injury, you, break, you fall or break your leg and that kind of stuff. Then there's also the, the, on the other side, it's like a, a catastrophic gear failure in a storm. That's like that's like top of my list of big, big fears. But that happened to me in Ireland. And it's kind of, it's been fine actually. It was like, because I knew it's summer, even though there's a storm coming. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to hypothermia. Like, I, I, I knew I'd be uncomfortable, I'd be wet. I knew I wasn't going to die. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so it's kind of 
Ireland's good for testing out uh, your chops in that regard. Uh, but uh, so the thing is, in terms of actual what gear to buy, there's different criteria. So if, if you plan on hiking a lot, then I would say invest, makes sense to invest in proper gear. And also, you, you hike for so I think you, you know yourself, you, you like hiking, like you will get some use out of it. Oh, no, yeah, like that's, that's the, the advice. The advice I want is like, what's the best gear to buy? Like, just boom, I'll, I'll, I'll listen yeah. to you. Like. So the things you should focus on are your, your, your big three or your big four. So it's big four on your bag, your tent, uh, your sleep, to a sleeping, your sleeping system. So that could be your sleeping bag or quilt or, and the pad. So they kind of their top four. So, um, so in terms of bag, it's actually probably, you can pretty much, yeah, I would say just get any kind of, things a bag is, your, your inclination will be to buy the biggest bag possible. That's your, that is your, your natural inclination. like, I'll get the biggest bag possible and I'll cover everything. And your, your, your logic will be, uh, I want sure. to look like a hiker. No, your, your logic will be that even though it's a big bag, I don't even feel halfway up, so it's fine. That won't happen. If you have a bag, it's, you will fill it. You just, it just, it's just human, always human nature, especially when you're starting out. Uh, so, but again, I wouldn't worry too much about the bag. Don't go too crazy. I don't know, like, don't go like fucking like an uh, army ranger type thing, whatever, just go to send a bag. Uh, if you want to go join the materials, Again, money, if money isn't too much of an issue, TCF, uh, so Dyneema composite uh, fabric. Uh, so it's actually used to call it Cuban fiber. So what they did was, uh, actually it's what, it's what yachts use for, like uh, racing yachts used for sails. Really? So it's, so it's a super lightweight, but super uh, water resistant as well. So like, uh, so my bag and my tent are both made out of DCF. And DCF. Yeah. Right. Dyneema. Dyneema is um, And it's expensive, but uh, it's perfect because, well, for in your bag, in your tent, uh, so obviously you want, you want your bag to be waterproof. Uh, actually, that's, that's another thing you should know. Waterproof doesn't exist. There's no such thing as waterproof. <laughs> uh, there, so, oh man, there's so much. Areas I'm bouncing around, you know. Oh, fucking bounce away, man. So, okay. I, uh, yeah, I'll finish the point on the top three first. And I'll go on to shoes. That's another big thing. Shoes is another one. Um, okay, so, yeah, so the DCF, obviously, uh, it's very uh, water repellent and you can't assume on the design of the bag, it's, uh, it's like a, 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 a rain shell for your, your, all your equipment, which, which you want. Even though I have DCF bag, I still use a uh, rubbish bag as a liner. Because uh, that's another thing. Actually, you'll be you're, you'll be you'll want to buy everything. Whereas sometimes household items work just as well. Uh, like a rubbish bag, you, you can get these like fancy lat bag liners, and you stick them in with zips. No, get a rubbish bag. They're they're lighter, they're cheaper, and they work better. And if it breaks, it's like it doesn't matter. It's new. You know what I mean? Uh, so use, if in doubt, use a household item. It's almost like I use uh, for my my gloves, my waterproof gloves. I use dishwasher gloves. <laughs> as like a liner. 
as for uh, sometimes if I'm in a really wet area, I have waterproof gloves, and uh, so I can I can get them if you want. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're, 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 they're used by Japanese fishermen. <laughs> and the so weirdest of all fishermen, they say. Yeah, well, they can bastards. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, so like people, you, you can hiking gear isn't just hiking gear. Like you can find anything out there, and if it does the purpose, then it's perfect. You know what I mean? Um, so there's a bunch of things I use that weren't wouldn't be classified as hiking gear, but they're way better than what hiking companies suggest. Um, so yeah, so waterproof bag, uh, the tent. I use uh, the Nima tent. Um, then I use um, so I use uh, trekking poles to hike during the day, and I recommend them as well because, especially for descending, they are very good in the knees. And like if you're doing long distance hikes, um, like you obviously the less wear and tear you have on your knees, the better you're less prone to injury. And like even though I'm I'm really used to hiking, I'm always fucking tripping over like chance. Always have good to have. Uh, Poles are to keep you sturdy. But another reason I use poles is because the tent I use uses the trekking pole as the tent pole. So oh, it's wow. multifunction, multifunctional. So it's all about saving weight. So why carry, why carry an extra tent pole in my bag where I can use this pole? And use that to pitch to a tent. Uh, so it's about finding those multi purpose items um, and that kind of stuff. Um, so the tents I use are Z Packs, Autoplex. Uh, it's a tent designed for tall people. Uh, so I had a duplex, which is a nerve tent. Uh, if you're under six foot, duplex is fine. So, uh, but uh, I have the same similar size one, just bigger. And then, uh, so most people use a sleeping bag, but I use a sleeping quilt. Uh, so a sleeping bag is, obviously it's wraps around you, the quilt it just goes on top of you, so it has no bottom. Uh, and so, this is good because obviously it saves weight, so you have to carry that. But say people think, oh, but what should we pull? Uh, it's like if I use, for example, and I use a down, uh, juice down uh, quilt. Um, and the thing with down or even synthetic material is if it's compressed, it loses its insulation or like it, it's not as insulated properly. So if you're lying on the bottom of the sleeping bag, it's compressed, therefore, it's not really providing any warmth. So it's not, you're just carrying that extra weight in the sleeping bag, but you're not getting, not getting any utility from it. So it's better to invest the weight of the bottom layer of the sleeping bag into your sleeping pad. So if I use an inflatable pad, uh, and so it's got, a, it's got an OR value, that's, what, that's the value that the, designates the uh, warmth value of it. So you want a minimum of two, or value of two, uh, for three seasons, um, I would say, yeah, so minimum two, but um, well, yeah, to, obviously, depending on what type of sleeper as well, some people are cold sleepers, some people are warm sleepers. You kind of have to figure it out yourself. I'm just normal sleeper, so I wouldn't be extreme either way. And I have a war value of 2.4. Uh, I have a Thermarest Uber Light, actually, Thermarest are maize in Ireland. That's a nice Irish product for you there, Ken. Nice. Uh, so, um, yeah, so Thermarest Uber Light is the pad I use. Uh, but there's other ones there, so like that's an or value of 2.4, and like you can get like a winter one that goes up to like 5.2 or something like that. And like you'll be depends on where you're hiking and what you're hiking and when and the conditions you'll be in. But generally, that's there are the four areas you should that's where you should focus most of your money. Do you know what I mean, 
uh, everything else, like your like hiking clothes and uh, whatever, whatever else. Yeah, I mean, there's so a bunch of things you could use, but uh, it's like that's where the most benefit you'll get in terms of extra gear would be in those four areas. You were talking as well a little bit about uh, footwear. So the general, and everyone will go through the, you go through this uh, same uh, process. I think you start off, you go, I'll get the biggest, baddest boots in the fucking world. Uh, you just cut like the tear through the world, like these kind of military boots. And if you're hiking in super in Alaska, super super winter conditions, that might make sense. But I just use uh, trail runners, so they're super lightweight. There you go. Oh. Nice trail runners there. <laughs> On a product place. Like yeah, so that's just a, a little trail runner, and um, so like they're they're not waterproof. Uh, they got good grip, that kind of stuff. Um, but so they cut, they, as I said before, like there's no such thing as waterproof. So people think, okay, I'll get big Gore-Tex waterproof boots. Now get me through everything. Uh, but the problem is, if they get wet, and they will, they will be impossible to dry. So it's better to have something that that gets wet easily but dries super quickly, as opposed to something that's theoretically waterproof. But if it gets wet, will never dry. And so, and if you're obviously with boots, there's two ways you get it'll get wet. Obviously, there's the lip at the top. So if you're just walking during, during the day, the rain, and it gets in there just naturally. The biggest one is your sweat. <laughs> your feet sweat like motherfucker. So if you're in a Gore-Tex boot where the water can't get in or out, uh, uh, then you just be just be sogging after a day or two, like you know. And then that's how you get blisters. Um, so it's better to have an uh, airy trail runner like that. And like you run through stream or whatever to get wet after five minutes, you won't even notice. What would you recommend doing for like food and water? Do, do you just find mm. local sources for water and what's your process? Yeah, so it depends on where you're working. Um, so some apps, like some trails have apps where like you still literally have like water sources here, 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 here. Um, but in Ireland, there, there's an, a, an app called Hiker, so H-I-I-K-E-R, that's the one I used for Ireland. Uh, it has a bunch of trails in Ireland, and they do have some of the water sources mapped along the way. Um, obviously, but I mean, yeah, it's, you, you, you come across it easily enough. Like you, you, when, I, when I was hiking across Ireland, I just had, yeah, two years capacity, two and a half, two and a half years capacity, so I, Two one-liter bottles and one five hundred-liter bottle that I kind of drank out of. Uh, and I used uh, so for water you need. In Ireland, you probably could get away with not filtering it, but I always filtered it anyway. Actually, in the filter I used Aquamira. So these are water drops. Uh, so it's a water treatment. So it's just part A, part B. You put for put seven drops of each into they mix them. And for one meter of water, pour that in. Leave for, leave for five minutes. Uh, the agents will react. Pour it into the water, and then wait 15, 20 minutes. And then that one meter of water is pure, like is pure clear, and you can drink it safely. Uh, again, obviously that's, that might be overkill for some areas around. You could just drink from the stream if you want to. Obviously, if, you, if you're you want to be safe. And then there's also the filters you could use as well. So like some people have the like a Sawyer filter for your best one. 
where you screw it on top of the water, the water bottle and you drink through that filter and it just filters everything like that. So there's like a micro filter inside it. Um, what are your thoughts on the UV light systems? I saw that just randomly online. Yeah, nonsense. It's too, it's too much, it's too really? much effort. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really work. Like it's just, uh, when you're out there, you're thirsty. It's like, what's the fucking water like? <laughs> it's like, I don't think it's the- It's overkill like, is it? No, it's underkill. It's like the volume you get, the volume you can sterilize with it, what you need on a day, day, day basis isn't enough in my opinion. Right. Uh, that's my, I mean, that's just my opinion. I think the drops or the filter are do the same thing and they're quicker and cheaper. So right. why go with them, you know? Uh, I mean, they, they, they look cool, but you feel like it's, it feels very scientific, science fiction, whatever, but it's like, I, I just don't think it's the best uh, way to do it. I mean, I, people use them, but I don't. Uh, so that's, well, yeah, so, and another thing to bear in mind, if you are going to a bunch of dirty water sources, have at least a, de a designated uh, dirty water bottle. So you have your clean water bottles and your dirty water bottles so that you scoop up your dirty water in the dirty water bottle, purify it, and transfer it over to your clean water bottle. Uh, again, in Ireland, it isn't as necessary, but in some places you will need, like, especially in, it's actually in areas that are more human, uh, for example, in the US, there's a bunch of people, a lot of hikers in a long area, but you get a common thing called norovirus, which essentially is like you piss and shit from both ends and or all angles. Uh, if, if you get it, uh, so it's like um, it makes much more sense to uh, purify like strictly on those trails. You know I mean? When I was like when I was in Ireland, when I was in Swedish Lapland. Swedish Lapland, like you could just drink the bottle was pure the motherfucker. Like you could just drink it from the stream. But I still purify it just to be safe. You know because I mean? you know the worst thing being out there is like. If you break your leg, you can fucking just crawl to the next town. But if you're fucking dying on the inside, it's just like that. That, that that's how you die. Like you know what I mean, yeah. If, you, if you're vomiting and pissing, like so, um, yeah, it's, it's always good got to be safe. Water. And um, in terms of food, then, like, because your your mentality is like, oh, I'll need X amount of food, but you probably like mm. you'll probably pack way more than you need. Do you? Yeah, do you have like certain areas where okay, I'll refill there, or what made sense to you? Yeah, you will always definitely always bring too much food as well. Uh, but you get used to it, you kind of I I always had like an extra you always want a little bit of extra food. Like you never really want to be arriving in town with like just bang on the money. You always want at least a day, like half day or a day's worth of food sitting in your van like, Yeah, because like you don't it's if a storm rolls in and you just have to hunker down for an extra day, you want to have that leeway, you know what I mean? Uh or who knows what could happen out there? You won't want to have a, an extra day of just in case, like, you know, or even if you come across another hiker who's the last year, you want to have something there. You know? uh, so yeah, I generally, like, that's the biggest thing. When, long distance hike, especially, don't not really thinking about it in terms of I'm going from like when I was hiking from Dublin to Cork, I wasn't going. I wasn't my hike going from Dublin to Cork. I was saying I'm going from Dublin to the next town, wherever fucking town was. You know what I mean? So it's like it's I'm not thinking in terms of 30 days, I think, in terms of three or four days. So it's, that's, that's, that's all I'm hiking. I'm just hiking to the next town. Then I resupply, get some more food, and I'm on the way. And so, so are you eating, like, basically normal food, or did you ever fuck with any of those, like, dehydrated packs that you see? Uh, ramen is always good. Can't go ramen. ramen. 
uh, it was a little bit. Um, you know, I've, other than the, some of the, like the backcountry meals, whatever they're called, I can't remember. Yeah, I've had them. Um, it depends, again, on where you're hiking. It's like if you're, when I was hiking through Ireland, like it was fine because you, you know you're going to come to a town every two or three days. Like, so it's like, you don't have to worry too much about it. But if you're, when I was in Swedish Lapland, like you're not coming across the town to the end. Do you know what I mean? So that was like a 10 day hike. No, it was a, yeah. I planned for 10 days. I did in seven days. So, but I had to carry, I carried, I started off with 10 days worth of food in my bag. Um, and like with that, you kind of want a bit more, you want to adjust kind of the longevity of the food. Like for example, like if you're going to a high, uh, town every two or three days, you can, you can buy like fresh food. Like you could buy meat or cheese and everything. As long as it's, uh, not not gonna go off next day, like you know what I mean. Um, so, but if you're hiking for ten days, you're not gonna you're not gonna have the, your tent meal as like a fucking ham sandwich, like you know what I mean. <laughs> so it depends on where you're hiking and how long how long into your next resupply. That's kind of the biggest thing, really. And would you look at calories, or would you just kind of pack by feel? You kind of you kind of know what you'd consume when you're yeah. Well, I'm a fat fuck, so it doesn't matter. Like you know, <laughs> I'm like over, I'm I'm overweight, so it's like. I know that if I'm hiking uh, and I'm get, eating a calorie deficit, I know I'm not going to be manner. Like, I know I'll still be able to burn that energy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so, I mean, it's probably not the best way to look at it, but that's, that's, that's part of the equation. Like, I mean, but if, like, if you were like a stick, you like, no, I need these calories. Yeah. You know I mean? So, it's, again, it's your body as well. Like. Um, but yeah, no, it's like you're, it's, very, it's super easy to eat. More calories than you need. <laughs> look at look at look at the runner engine. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Fat fuckers. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> uh, so like, uh, like Snickers and that kind of stuff. It's just you have you have like uh, you have uh, so you have, you have your so just like your there's your your set meals or your dinner and breakfast. Like the ones I would cook. Then everything else I would just have could be snacks or something I could make like a, a wrap. For lunch, I just like have a wrap and throw their salami, you know, wrap and cheese on top of that. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean, it's nothing too crazy. Like it's just what. And another thing is your trail diet really shouldn't be much different than your normal diet. Like uh, if you get out, like I've seen a bunch of people who like they go out there and they're e- eating just these, like your. The hiker food, like, would you eat that alone? Nah, the one you're eating now, like, like you you want your food, especially at your dinner, I would say, especially, like, to be something you're looking forward to, yeah. not something, not something you're gonna, okay, this will meet my caro requirements. Like, no, you just you want to, like, oh, I'm looking forward to that night. Like, you've hiked for six hours, eight hours for the day, you get to camp, it's pissing rain and cold. I'm looking forward to that night. Like, you know what I mean, uh, so yeah, like pasta or noodles, that's they're probably the biggest thing really. What's your cooking system look like? So you'd normally prepare something in the morning and the evening. What, what do you mm-hmm. use? Um, well, there's two ways of doing it. So yeah, the standard way, and this way I'll recommend for most people is just, yeah, like, I'll just get the pot one sec. On my gear here, you can. I know, so this yeah, is, uh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, so this is the pot I use. It's like, uh, so I'd obviously, I have a, 
canister, a fuel canister, and have a stove on top of that and light that up and put this on top. Uh, so this, this is uh, the variable box. So it's just a pot and a screw on top like this. So the good thing about this pot is it has a watertight seal. So uh, I can fill up water and like that. And also I want it, I can use this, the frying pan, the small frying pan. Oh, uh, so it's like, you can, there's different ways, but again, it's pot to pot. Like if you're just using it for ramen, just fill up water, try ramen, it's like, I'm not too fancy, do you know what I mean? Like this, this shitty pot here cost me fucking hundred dollars. But, wow. but I, I invested in it, but like you can get a pot for a tenner that does like 80% of what this does. Because I because I know I'm going to hike a lot, I'll get the value out of it. And you're going uh, to depend can, on it. Like you're in certain situations where you just can't have your gear fuck up. Like, yeah, exactly true. And so then the other so that's the kind of standard one is just use the pot and you boil up the water, throw it in. But the other one is the other reason I bought this pot is because the waterproof seal is in. There's a thing called cold soaking, uh, which essentially is you don't heat up your food, you just soak it in cold water and eat it. It's depressing as fuck. That sounds so <laughs> yeah. bad. Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's not going to paint a value. But if you're in a, if you really wanted to cut weight, uh, like if you say so you want to bring a fuel canister and your and your stove and that kind of stuff, and you just wanted, so you could have couscous. Or even you could actually ramen in there and put water and just have a cold like you know. Uh, and so the the, the part, water pipe water pipe seal is you just put the ingredients in, like say Arab before you get to camp. Put it in there, throw it in your bag, and it will de uh, dehydrate, whatever, whatever it is, over an hour. And by the time you get to camp, you can eat it. And it's, it's cold, whatever, but it's fine. In terms of weight. But yeah, no, I would recommend that to start out. I get you, I get you. Um, <laughs> in terms of weight, what would be your recommendation? Like if you're, if you're looking at everything and you pop it on the scales, where would it come to? that's too fucking heavy or that's too fucking light. Probably never going to be too fucking light if you're preparing for a camping trip, but what weight would it, you It can be too light if it's dangerous. It can be too light if it's dangerous. Like if you're not bringing, like, that's the thing like, with the ultralight kind of phosphorus we're talking about, like there are some people who are called stupid ultralight where they're just like, they don't bring, like you, the ideal ultralight mindset is you bring exactly what you need that covers uh, your, your bases and like, that doesn't put you in danger. Like, so there was, for example, like there were some people who wouldn't bring the water treatment stuff because it's too much weight. It's like, okay, maybe if you're Ireland, that might make sense, or in Swedish Tapland where the water is pure, maybe you can make that decision. But if you're hiking a place where, where you're eating out of a, drinking out of a cow's water trough, bring the fucking water filter. Like, it doesn't matter how heavy it is. Uh, so it's, it's, it's always a trade off. So there's no right answer, there's no exact answer to, that, to your question. But in general terms, uh, what the ultralight is going to define. So again, it's base weight, so it's not total weight. The base weight is everything excluding your water, your food, and any uh, consumables, such as the gas in your gas cabinets are technically the consumable. So you won't count that as your base weight, but it's still, you're still carrying it, but it's kind of, it's something you consume throughout your period. So it's like, it's in flux. So your base weight is uh, steady, regardless of what's in your bag, but it's, your food weight, your water weight, your consumable weight which depend on, will change on the day you're hiking. You know I mean, so you only you only you optimize your base weight and then adjust your water weight and whatever else your consumable weights depending on 
length of your hike and that kind of stuff. And obviously, the lower your base weight, then the more food and water you can carry. Therefore, the further you can hike without having to resupply. Therefore, you can do longer hikes the lower your base weight is. Do you know what I mean? It's all playing with the variables. So if you're, again, if you're in Alaska and you want to do a big, long hike where you know you're not going to uh, come across a town anytime soon, then you need to have, ideally, a super low base weight so you can carry more food. But obviously, if you're in Alaska, you're probably carrying a, a sled anyway. It's like, don't go to Alaska, Kev, you'll, you'll die. <laughs> I, I, would, I would die in Alaska immediately. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, but beyond that, um, yeah, so it's like general terms, ultralight is defined as having a base weight below 10 pounds, which is 4.5 kilometers or kilometers, uh, kg. Uh, and then lightweight would be between 10 to 15 pounds. And then standard weight would be between 15 and 20 pounds. And then, like, say anything above 20 pounds for base weight would be kind of heavy. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So, but again, it's kind of it's not an exact science because that figure applies to me who's six foot two, but also like a five foot one Asian girl. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. It's yeah. like there, there is trade offs as well. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense. Um, in Ireland, man, like, how do you find a campsite? Or, because, like, in Ireland, am I right that it's you're not actually allowed wild camp? No, in certain, yeah, no, like as a general rule, no, like it's it's, it's against the law, like. But so I I hiked across Ireland. I wild camped every night out there. But it's like the, the laws in place are obviously they come from a kind of a logical place where it's like you uh, you know there are people in Ireland especially the people who would abuse it. I mean, there's a bunch of teenagers out there fucking bush drinking, like you know I mean, yeah, uh, but. If you're just like me, a lone hiker, and it's clear you're not causing any hassle, and you're out of the way, like it's no one's going to disturb you. I'd imagine, like you mean, be very rare for it to happen. And I'm sure if a guard, guard came across you in the middle of a forest, like what are you doing? I'm camping. I'm gone in the morning. Like, like yeah, whatever. You know what I mean, you don't give a fuck. Like I talked to a bunch of people in the forestry service, farmers along the way, and yeah, they just yeah, like they were like, oh yeah, there's a good good spot there at camp. Like you know, they're they're fine with it. Do you know what I mean, it's just kind of there's the law and then there's the reality. Do you know what I mean? And so I think the law is there so that you have to risk someone being a fucking asshole. They can say, okay, you need to get the fuck out of here. Do you know what I mean? But I do think the laws should be changed somewhat. Like for Scotland is the Scotland actually Sweden as well. They they got the best uh, camping laws. Like in Scotland, it's kind of a, you can pretty much camp anywhere as long as you're not in someone's garden or like there's you're, there's certain rules in place, but Generally speaking, you can, as a hiker, it's perfect for you. you know what I mean? And Swedish Lapland as well. Uh, yeah, they, in Sweden, they have the kind of what's called uh, the name now, but the, yeah, it's like right to wrong kind of stuff, you know. Um, but I mean, in Ireland, I would, I would suggest just in the forest is probably best. It's like it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. If you're as long as you're not visible from a road or something, no one's going to pull over and stop you. If you're in a forest, you'll be fine. As a beginner, like, what are some of the biggest challenges to avoid? Like, are there any kind of like glaring pitfalls that you recommend? Okay, remember this. Remember this. Uh, the biggest one would probably be just listen to your body and your feet, especially uh, because and this very common. Like, like if say if you and I went hiking together and I was blazing a trail and 
psychologically you want to keep up with me because you just want to keep up with you know what I mean but that can be very and, and then you're, you're pushing your body beyond its limits mm. uh you should just say like yeah I need to stop here you know what I mean but obviously if you're going that's even a hypothetical scenario like I'm sure I'm saying if you're like that's probably a very common easiest way for a new hiker to get injured is hiking with someone who's hiking all the time and they're trying to keep up with their pace and like that's something I bear, keep, bear, keep in mind. But also, if you're hiking by yourself, yeah, just, just listen to your body, listen to your feet. Uh, if you feel a blister, hot spot coming on, stop, take your shoes off, take your socks off, air your feet out. Uh, another thing, like uh, elevate your legs uh, even for 10, 20 minutes. That will uh, reduce the lactic acid, whatever it is from your feet. And uh, that's what that's what called that will, doing, doing that every couple of hours will. Uh, Basically, reduce the chance of blisters. Uh, so, I think, yeah, uh, in terms of avoiding everything you do to avoid blisters, starting out is probably the best thing because if you're just starting hiking, that's probably the that would be the thing that will train you off hiking indefinitely. If you just get a bunch of blisters, like fuck this, you know what I mean. Uh, but then, then it's again, it's, you have the basic. Sure, you have your cover your basic needs, uh, like have your gear that covers your. Uh, like, Covers your uh, temperatures you're hiking in the summer and Ireland, you'll be fine with that. But um, make sure you have waterproof gear and a rain jacket. And if you're camping, you have what you need to be comfortable during the night. Uh, but it's kind of, there's, there's only so much you can do there, really. You have to go through that. Like, the, yeah, you can, you can biggest, read all the theory you want. It's, you have to go out into the real world and just see what works and what doesn't as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, the biggest thing, the, the, the biggest skill, I'm like, I'm sure you're you're fitter than me, whatever. But I, I would say the skill I have that's better, that's, that's more advanced than you is, I'm more comfortable being uncomfortable than hiking. And that only comes with experience and knowing what I what I, and I've optimized my gear to fit my what I like and dislike. So, for example, some hikers can go to sleep without a pillow. I know I need a pillow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll, I'll find I'm fine to bring that, that the extra weight to bring a pillow, but there'll be some hikers. It doesn't matter. They don't need it, but they'll. They do have cold soaking. They have cold soaking the food. They're like, fuck off. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I can try it. So it's like depends on a person as well. Like some people are cold sleepers or hot sleepers. So it all depends on you and kind of what type of hiker you are and uh, what your comfort levels are. Like kind of like if you look at like a quadrant of like different areas like you're comfortable in like I'm fine uh yeah with food I'm fine being uncomfortable but with sleep I'm not I, and I'll pay a penalty for a comfortable night's sleep for someone could be the inverse you know what I mean and the only way you'll know which one you are is to go out and do it and live it and experience it you know no actually I'm I need warm water to for, for my food or whatever it is you know what I mean and uh, so like you can read that i can tell you that what it is you know unless you go out there you won't know in terms of clothing then like as a true hiker yourself do, do you have mm-hmm. multiple changes of clothes or are you literally just wearing the one thing the whole time or what what are you doing uh so you have, you have layers but you really only have one one piece of clothes. like again that could be something that there's some some hikers out there who bring multiple uh uh, like multiple shirts, multiple short shorts, whatever. 
I don't. I just have one pair of shorts and one shirt. Um, and then I have a fleece and a puffy jacket and a rain jacket. And obviously, again, depends on the, the conditions I'm in. For example, like in Ireland, I just had shorts. I had no pants. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I had no long legs. I, I had uh, long johns for sleeping in, but um, I would very, very rarely hike in them because you don't want to have, you want to keep your sleeping there uh, in your bag at all times just to, so it's always dry. But if I was, yeah, I actually, I never wore it during the day, but like, there'd be a kind of a scenario where I could use that. If it, if it was like, if there was like a, a flash storm where it was super cold overnight, I could, in theory, wear my Long John's as a kind of backup. That would, that would be a, an edge case as opposed to the norm. Um, but yeah, so I'd say most hikers are really just have one one layer, one one piece of everything. I mean, as opposed to having two or three, three different shirts wherever you go. Um, yeah, and you just, that's, you get comfortable spending like a piece of shit. <laughs> um, in terms of like trails to focus on as a beginner, the last time we talked about uh, the Wicklow way, but are there any mm-hmm. others outside of Wicklow that you've heard good things about for beginners in terms of like the level, the level of ability and the, mm-hmm. the accessibility as well? In Ireland or in, in Ireland, yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. Fucking, I'm just. I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot. Well, you you could do. There's, there's plenty of trails in the UK as well, which are really good. But uh, yeah, it's right. around, um, uh, Yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's the the two the more famous trails in Ireland. So the Wicklow is the most famous trail in Ireland, I would say. Uh, and then there's the Kerry Way and the Barrow Way, which obviously you know West Cork and Kerry, like obviously they're known to be beautiful and be awesome to explore them. And uh, one of the areas I t- hiked, which lesser known uh, trail, and it's the, in the Midlands, so it's kind of it's not as rugged, I would say, do you know what I mean? That was the Black Waterway. Uh, so it kind of goes from uh, Tralee, yeah, Tralee to, uh, yeah, I can't remember, I can't remember exactly, but Tralee up to, it's about 200, 150 miles, something like that. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, goes down, it goes down the Barrow River up to Tipperary and Thurlis, or Clumnell, sorry. Um, and that covers like a wide range. Like the area I was talking about where the, the bog and the wind farm, that's along the Blackwater River, Blackwater Way. Uh, yeah, so it goes through, yeah, it goes, sorry, it goes, yeah, it goes along the Blackwater River for Moy and then up to the Barrow River as well. Um, and so there's, Really beautiful, uh, not too challenging, and a good mix of different types of terrain. Uh, so there's like there's walking along the natural river. Uh, the actual, it's like a super flat, kind of actually it's almost like almost a stroll. And then you're like going through the bogs and then that kind of stuff. So it's a good mix of different terrains and and uh, probably less well known as well. Ireland. With your level of experience, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face? Because like you've been on some extreme hikes. What are the kind of things that mm. stick in your mind? Uh, well, I mean, there's a there's difference. There are added extra uh, level of um, risk by hiking is that I'm usually solo hiking. Uh, and so that that's, if you're hiking with a group, you kind of, even, even one other person, like you know that if you break your leg, whatever, you there'll be some kind of capacity to get out there, whatever. 
you can they can go for get, get help, whatever. Whereas if you're by yourself, you'd have to just hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it kind of when you're doing solo hiking stuff, you kind of you 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 have to be, even be more prepared for if something goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, that, and that's like even with food. You know what I mean? I bring I bring more food myself. If you're with someone, if you run out of food or you run out of water, you can Animalism. ask your friend. Like, <laughs> you can ask your friend how to have some types of an extra, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but beyond, so you know, like for example, like probably the most dangerous. Well, it's from, I think it's the most dangerous areas I've been when I was hiking. It's like the scariest moment, the two scariest moments I had when I was hiking is one when I was in Mongolia. I was camp, I was camping out. And the area I was in, there was no bears. Well, in theory, there was no bears, but like say maybe 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers up north, there was an area where there could in theory be bears, you know what I mean? Like black bears or uh yeah, black bears. I mean, yeah, so brown bears, well, yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, black bears, and black bears, yeah, they're fine, but it's like, I, this time I was a very new hiker. I was, the tent I had at the time was almost like a fucking body bag. It was like, you could, tent me now, like I can sit up and kind of move around a bit. This one, it was essentially like, it's almost like a baby, where you kind of slide in, and the most I could do was kind of sit up, almost. I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even sit up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, it was a body bag. Uh, but yeah, I was camping out, and during the middle of the night, I heard something rustling around the tent. And I like, and it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, it's like, so you kind of rationalize it. It's interesting because it's, it's what, what I found. Like, remember I was saying, like, one of my biggest fears was my gear failing. Uh, in a storm, it's like when that happened, they're like there was only like ten seconds where the tent collapsed on me in the middle of the night, and I was like, oh fuck, fuck, fuck. But as soon as I just, just take a breath and go, okay, like what what do I need to do? I, I turn on my light, my flashlight. Okay, and I stake this out here, blah blah blah. So you just kind of solve the problem. Then it's it's interesting. Like once the thing you most feared happened happened, it kind of just became funny. It's like oh, it's interesting. Uh, but when I was in Mongolia. Uh, there's, just, there's something going around my tent, and I don't know what it was. Like, uh, obviously, your mind immediately jumps to okay, there's bears potentially 20 kilometers away. Who knows what's out there? But, and the thing is, like, if there is a bear around my tent, there's nothing I can do. Like, if the bear wants to eat me, he can eat me. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> and you know what I did, Kev? I jerked off. <laughs> is that a natural bear repellent? No, and it's like, okay, I was like, I was wired. I was like, you, you wake up in the night, it's like, oh shit, there's a bear around you. On edge, like but a motherfucker. Like... Late, late. Yeah, and it's just like, there's, you hear something around you, and, I, and that's why I was like, okay, I need to go to sleep, like, because sleep is literally the most important thing you can get out on, on trail. What's the best way to go to sleep? Jerk off, so I jerked off, went, went to sleep. And then I woke, woke up the next day, and it's actually a beautiful morning, and poked my head out, and I saw a wild horse drinking water, like maybe 10 meters from the tent. I was like, you motherfucker, like you're not there. So I like, assume, assume there's a horse walking around my tent. Uh, but obviously in the middle of the night, you don't know the difference, you know what I mean? That's why you got that tattoo, if in doubt, whip it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on my thigh, you know? Uh, so that's funny, you, what, and it's, 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 it's hilarious how you just react to it. Like, 
it's kind of like how you have to experience it to understand like uh, and so it's like I've read all of the books like what you do you see there and all the kind of stuff you know what I mean but until you're out there then you know what to do so then the other scariest moment I had when I was hiking was when I was hiking in Swedish Lapland and I was going up the uh, biggest mountain I was hiking on the trail the highest mountain can't remember the name but now but uh, and it was pissing rain and there was these like it's you're gonna it's actually it's like really like steep uh sheets of rock like very slippery uh but um i got to the top uh, like pretty much the top of the mountain and it was super foggy like you could barely see maybe i can say like a meter and a half in front of you like realistically and the way the trail was marked was there was usually little cairns little, little rock formations uh, on the horizon where like you go that way you kind of you look for the next one here and that's the direction and obviously I'm on the top of this mountain I couldn't see shit like uh, and I looked into the direction the, the wind's blowing and like the, there's a I could I just see uh, on the horizon in this uh, one of the cairns I go fuck okay, okay, that's the direction so and I just head that way and obviously I get to the cairns like this isn't a waymarked cairn like this isn't part of the trail this is someone who came up here on a sunny day and said, let's make an Instagram post, let's make it a rock formation. Like public service event, rock cairns have a very specific purpose yeah. on mountains. They're way markers. So if you make a rock cairn on a mountain, you're potentially leading someone astray. That's exactly what happened to me. So now I'm on this line, and to get to that cairn, I had to bushwhack through a bunch of shit like that. I was like, and I was like is this the way, but the cairn's there, so it's got better go this way. And it's like, so I get to, the, I finally get there, and now I'm just like, okay, well, I turn around and like, okay, I get there and go, this isn't the way, Mark. I need to turn around and go back to where I came. Turn around, I don't know where the fuck I am. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just on this mountain uh, and it's just like, I'm lost in theory. But it's like, again, you kind of, you, you go through the steps, okay, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is I pitch my tent top of this mountain and wait out the storm. I mean, so it's like, I'm not, like I'm, I don't break my leg. It's just like, you kind of go to, you just work systematically what, what can you do? Then I just kind of uh, like the word that once you have that in your mind, then you've got to know, okay, yeah, I have there's no rush to find a way back. Like if I get lost, I can just camp out here for a day and the storm will pass and I'll know where I am then in the morning, whatever you know I mean. But eventually, after much fucking walking around the top of this fucking mountain in Sweden, I found uh, the way way down and yeah, got moving down. There's, a, there's, there's those moments where, yeah. It, where it's like things you plan, you, you think about before, and like if it happens, oh man, what the fuck would I do? Then it happens, and you go, oh, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> it's, it's <funny. laughs> and also, when I was on top of the mountain, I jerked off as well. <laughs> I was going to say, like, as soon as you get to our false cairn, you just look at it and get slightly aroused. You felt that panic, you just said, no, no, it's time to do it. You looked at the tattoo. <laughs> um, Pat, you also mentioned um, that maybe not recently, but uh, you took the decision yourself to do one of these 100-hour water fasts. Why? Mm, yeah, yeah. Why did you originally try to do it, and what was the process like? Because uh, I'm a fat fuck who needs to lose weight. <laughs> yeah, that's literally the only reason. Like, why else would I not eat for 100 hours? Actually, that's not fair. It actually, is it's kind of there is a challenge to it, and also, uh, 
I do intermittent fasting generally, like, uh, and like I'm way more focused in the morning when I'm fasted in a fasted state. So usually when I wake up, I just have uh, black coffee, like espressos, and I don't eat until like lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's like for whatever reason, I I just never really been a. I never like just some people who wake up and I need to fucking eat right now. I'm not, for whatever reason, I've never been like that. Uh, so it's, for whatever reason, I eat too much outside of that. But in the morning, I don't eat. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, essentially, it's just like I'm you know, in pandemic, doing fuck all in Italy, the home of pasta and pizza yeah. and all that kind of shit. It's just like uh, the cars are my my kryptonite, whatever. Uh, so it's just yeah. I mean, I've done yeah, I've done intermittent fasting for, and I've done ketogenic diets for. So it's like uh, I've done OMAD, like one meal a day kind of stuff as well. Um, so I'm like, but. I've always uh, done, like building up to the 100 hour fast, I've done sequential 24 hour fast. So it's essentially it's got one meal a day as well. It's like you just have one dinner and then, then you, you won't eat the next, the next dinner. It's actually fine. Like if you, again, I was fine. It's like if, if you're working on something, if you're doing something, it's actually much, much easier. Um, but I, like, to, it's like, what I found with the, it's the biggest problem with the highlight lockdowns. Like I watched all of Netflix. I watched all of YouTube. Completed it. And so, it's, yeah, I was, I was, I've watched the internet. Like, it's just, <laughs> I've done this. Uh, and so it's kind of like, I, yeah, so it's kind of like, you feel like you're just wasting time almost. Uh, but it's like, if you if you have a, like, the best time to do like a big like, 100 hour fast, I would say is if you have a, a project you're working on. Like, if you say, okay, I want to, Build a website over the next five days, fast during that, and you just eat something. Something you distract yourself with. Because what I found is doing the hundred hour fast is eating is a hobby. It's like it's something mm. you do. It's like it's like like it becomes part of your your. When I watch a video or whatever else, watch a film, it's some popcorn or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it becomes it's part of the experience. Like it's not separate. It is part of it. Do you know what I mean? And so it's kind of uh, like it's weird sitting down and watching a film when you're like in a three day third day into a hundred hour fast. It's like you just your time just seems so slow. You just it's like you can see you're just looking around rooms like what? Just it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel natural because uh, and sleeping like there's some weird. Some days it's fine. Like for say first two days are fine, but after third and fourth day. Sleeping became weird. Where, like, I, I was, I would have been fine on four hours of sleep. You know what I mean, but obviously, I'm so programmed to go to sleep, try and get eight hours. I'm just laying there for four hours a night, going, I should be asleep. And I feel like oh, it's like I feel wired. You know what I mean, um, that's that's the biggest thing about being in a fasted state. You just you feel on edge, not not in a bad way. You know, like you feel uh, you're very alert. Hyper- yeah, you're hyper aware. Um, and that's the thing. If you can, in the fastest state, train your mind to onto something, to, into doing something, then you, be, you just come, you go straight into it, you go super in depth. Uh, but it's kind of, it's hard to be in that state for 100 hours, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but it was interesting, it was fun. And obviously, water fast, for those not know, is like you drink plenty of water, and I had uh, electrolytes. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Um, 
and um, and zero calorie diet. You know, so black, black coffee uh, has zero calorie. Uh, water and electrolytes. That was all I had. For so electrolytes are a crucial part of the process. You can't just do water. You, you could. You, I mean, you could, but uh, like there's people who do much long water fasts. And see, I, I would say four to five day uh, fast is a sweet spot. Anything above seven days, then the refeeding uh, section needs to be as long as the fast itself. So for example, if I do a four to five day fast, I can in theory just break it like that and I could eat a pizza almost, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I like you could, I wouldn't, I, I usually start off with a keto, I break it uh, something light and then uh, say like stay in a ketogenic stage for another day, like have a steak and eggs, something like that. And then I can go back to normal. Whereas if you were to fast for seven days or longer, uh, so if you, if you fast for seven days, then you need to have a seven-day refeeding window where you're very slowly introducing stuff back into your diet. Um, so again, but that four or five-day uh, fast is, is a kind of sweet spot where you're getting all the benefits of the, the fast. Not, not, not obviously, the longer you fast, the more calories you lose. But in terms of the, like, uh, human growth hormone, uh, the focus, energy, that kind of stuff, um, and uh, autophagy. You know what autophagy is? Kind of, kind of. It's it's essentially like where your good cells eat your bad cells or something like that, is it? So it's like, yeah, all your damaged cells are broken down and repurposed into new new cells. So it's like, and, and obviously, the more, da- the more damaged cells you have, they're the ones that are, if they are, if, to get cancer, they'd be the ones who get cancer first. You know what I mean? So it's like if you can uh, clean out uh, your bad cells more frequently and use them to get new uh, newer cells, then uh, your immunity, your immune system overall is improved. If you're doing a prolonged fast, when do the benefits of human growth hormones start to kick in, and when are they maximized in in your uh, view of doing it? Yeah, so I can't remember exactly what I use an app called Life, and that actually is a really good timer. Yeah, I love that. I was actually thinking of that. I remember you you posted that, and I thought that was so fascinating where it showed the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can I can remember, but it's like yeah, you start off like you start off you know, going to ketogenic stage and heavy ketogenic, and then I can't remember. Then I think it's uh, your insulin. You're, you're at a your lowest insulin level uh, point. And then I think human growth hormones, I think like, most of the benefits occur, so ketogenic benefits occur after 24 hours, I'd say, like most of them. And then I'd say after the second day, that's when all the other stuff kicks in properly. Right. Uh, but, and then, and then it kind of has a compounding effect. Like the longer you stay in that state, the more, more, more the add on over time, I mean. Uh, human growth hormone might max out at a certain capacity, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's all good. There is a sense of achievement that comes with completing something that, like, personally, that was difficult, you know what I mean? And when you get to the end of it, at least you know you're not the same person that you were, in a sense, because you have done that thing that you've, you would have found so difficult. Yeah, like, 100 hours is an arbitrary number. Like, it's it's four days and four hours. Like, just on four days, you know what I mean? <laughs> So it's like, like fuck it, I stay an extra four days, four hours just to get to hundred. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, and 
I think, so as I said, I, I'm overweight. So it's like, uh, I, there's plenty of people who do um, like prolonged water fast for like 28 days or some crazy stuff like that. Because there's, you've heard like, 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 I, like 28 you, days seems so, to the, like, it seems that you're going far closer to the point of starvation. Like, uh, so yeah, well, it, again, it all depends on the body. It's like if you're overweight, like I told you, I think that uh, in a study there was a guy in the US who was like morbidly obese, and he fasted with obviously with the supervision of doctors for like a year. But they they gave him uh, electrolytes and like multivitamins every now and then. But in theory, if you have if you once you're in a ketogenic state and you're burning fat to get your calories. If you have enough fat, you can burn that indefinitely until you're out of fat, essentially. And the only things you can't get from a ketogenic state from, from burning fat is the electrolytes, uh, like potassium, magnesium, and salt. So that's why they're so important. Uh, and so that's why people take them when they're water fasting. But there you could do it out, it would be much more, much more dangerous, and I wouldn't recommend it at all. But um, and honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anyone do a 28 day water fast either because I think that's. Unless you're like morbidly obese, or even then, fucking talk to a doctor, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for four days, it's like, again, you have to, the way I look at it, it's like, think in evolutionary terms. I mean, that's how I look at it. It's like, again, we are no different than a caveman, yeah. biologically and genetically speaking. Uh, so it's like, if you don't think our ancestors went four days without eating, uh, you don't need to look at, you need to, you learn history more, like, you know? Uh, so it's like there's a reason why our bodies have are so well adapted to the ketogenic state because they we 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 have a feast and famine biology. I mean that's where that's how we that's how our bodies develop, where we we would feast on we stuff and get get the glucose energy from the glucose, and then we would starve for days at a time and we burn the fat off, and that's so so it's like. If you look at it from the evolutionary point of view, there's something people think it's radical or dangerous. Like, no, that's the eating three times a day is the abnormality, not yeah. fasting for a few days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like only since like World War II that we've had a surplus of food in the world. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. People just think, oh yeah, fuck it. This is this is the way. I only in parts of the world. Go to Africa. You also mentioned that uh, you had been writing a screenplay. The last time we talked, oh yeah, yeah, is that is that moving close to completion, or where where is that? Oh yeah, I finished it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it needs to be redrafted, and you know, like I think with anything, any piece of art, anything you write, it's never finished; it's just abandoned. You know, it's a point where it's got fuck it, it's done. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I still need to. I could definitely do redraft and redraft it and find uh, new things. But uh, yeah, I mean. I just wrote it because this was back in November, maybe I can't remember exactly when I did it. But uh, yeah, again, obviously, again, I'm in lockdown. I've watched the internet. Now what I have is my imagination, so I'll make my own content. <laughs> so, can you uh, say so, yeah, a again, bit about it or the creative process? Like this is this is the yeah. I, mean, I don't think anyone wants to hear about my fucking shitty screenplay, but it's just, it's a slight point of screenplay. But uh, I'll tell you about the process here yeah, if you want. Um, so yeah, so essentially what I did was, yeah, it was pretty simple, really. I just I literally said, okay, for six hours a day, you can either sit, I kind of, 
I, Neil Gaiman did a talk, and I can listen to, listen to what, what he does was he, he goes to a desk, has his laptop in front of where he's writing. He says, I can either sit here and think or write for the next X number, number of hours. I can't do anything else. So that's what I did. So I would have my laptop, I, I turn off the, the Wi Fi, and I just have the uh, screen wire software I use, and like I have a coffee and some water. And I could sit there for two or three hours. Like, I remember I got up at like eight, and do you know with those days where you can see the moon during the daytime? Yeah. Yeah. And I watched for like three hours or two hours, just watched the moon disappear slowly. So it's like I watched. I was like, I watched this, the, the moon fade away during the day. And I was like, I watched it like a moon sunset. Like, what? I was like, I literally just watched it for three hours. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I thought it was like, I was like, that's fine. It's like, it's like, like in my mind, that was part of the process. Because there's some days where I could sit down for six hours and just bang, I'm running for six hours straight. Some days, where like that, I'm watching the moon going, what the hell? hours at the time <laughs> but as long as I just allocate that six hours every day to this thing to either write or do nothing and think and just watch the world around me then I'm still doing something and that's how I approached it really. Was this, yet, something, was this something that you had in the pipeline for a while or did you just kind of wake up one day and said all right this is what I'm going to devote to now like how does your mind work with what you choose to focus on? Uh, well, I think I have you know, a bunch of like screenplay ideas and movie ideas I could write. Uh, but obviously sitting down and writing it is a very different thing. But I mean, obviously I'm at the, I'm lucky that I'm in a privileged position now where I can spend six hours a day doing fucking nothing if I want. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so obviously I recognize that that's not most people's lives. Um, but yeah, so kind of I figured, I just wanted to kind of create something, you know what I mean? Uh, again, I'm not thinking I'm going, oh, it's going to be a nice fucking Oscar winner. I can actually make it. I don't know. Who knows? I'd love to make it at some point, but who you knows? Like, I'm just happy to. You're concentrating on the in- intrinsic value of doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. Rather was, than what like, could this be? Like, like the, the finishing that first draft, it's like, okay, it's a sh- like, And as you're writing, you're going, this is shit. Like, you know it's <laughs> all work but, no play makes pass oh boy <laughs> yeah exactly but so you know it's shit the first the first draft is always shit like it's just a matter of uh getting it down and then once you have a thing to look at you can examine it and okay move that scene here that scene makes no sense that character is a cunt what is he doing there and then you just move. so what i did then was once i had the first draft i got a post-it notes uh for every scene mapped it out on my, uh, my kitchen table right here. Uh, and then you can just move the scenes around and if I want to add a new scene, get a new post and stick it in. And then, okay, then I, then I would, then I have a visual representation of the film on the, the table. Um, and then I would go back to screen, screenwriting software and like edit to the existing scenes, add new scenes, and just repeat that process a few times until you have a, something where you finish it and you, know, you read it and you go, all right, I guess it's done. <laughs> that's what you want. You don't want, you're not, you don't want to finish and go, yes, this is a masterpiece. You just want to finish and go, like, okay, it's done now. Before doing this, were there any like screenwriters that 
personally you would have drew inspiration from or like because like I when I look at a film I know the director I know mm. the actors but I, I don't know kind of like the people behind the the production well, I think the screenwriter is the most important part of the entire film uh, and obviously I'm currently wise because I'm very <laughs> <laughs> but it's true like if you like without the screenplay there's nothing like you know what I mean doesn't matter how great an actor you are, how great a director you are. If, you do, if there's no concept and story, then go piss in the wind, like, you know, there's nothing there. Um, and I think generally, yeah, I think most people are, like, people, there is this, uh, you know, mindset of the direct, the director is the one who makes the film. Like, and I get, there's, there's a, I get that, because there's obviously a massive amount of skill in taking a concept to our reality. But um, I think my, my favorite uh, film creators are the, the auteurs, people who are who make the whole thing like you know, they write and direct. Because then that's something that you know that that's their, their artistic staff, like, vision. Like yeah, exactly. And that's, I think it's always the best, best way to approach things. It's like obviously, I mean, you look at Max Corsese; he doesn't write a lot of stuff, so it's like it is narrative. Uh, but it's. I think the most unique films you watch are the ones are where there's one person who says, this is my film. Like, I mean, and I think one of my favorite screenwriters is probably Charlie Kaufman. Know him? No, no. Uh, Eternal, Sun Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, being John Malkovich. Like, like there are some weird fucking crazy films. They're, they're like, two of my favorite films. Like, incredible. Yeah. I, I had no idea that the, the same person was responsible for both of them. Like, no? being yeah, John yeah, Malkovich yeah, yeah. is one of the it's one of my favorite films. Like it's it's a masterpiece of madness in a way. Like it's such a fascinating idea. Yeah. So I think he's like again. It's like it's the films you watch. They're just entertaining. You love them, and and they're great. But there's some films you watch and it's like, whoa, I'm watching. I'm experiencing something here. Do you know what I mean? And the films like his, yeah, they're, they're very unique. And see, the problem with being but I'm a massive film buff. Like I'm, and I think, uh, like I love being surprised. And the problem with Hollywood is it's so hard to be surprised now because everything's so formulaic, mm. especially when I've written screenplays before. And so I can see the kind of the narrative, the plot points here. Okay, that's first act, second act. I can, I can, I can de deconstruct in real time what's being done in a, watching a film. So I love when I'm watching a film and I'm like, I don't know where this is going. Like, because like that the screenwriter, the director is such a master that they've they've hidden their tracks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't see the, the plot points that are, are coming down the line. Uh or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Uh so much films you watch and you go, okay. Yeah, you know what you know, you watch that scene, like there's a news report on the thing and like. A nuclear power plant thing. It's like, okay, well, that's going to come into it. You know? It's like, <laughs> it's like there's, there's a reason they're showing you everything. So it's like when you watch a film where you're being shown a plot point, but you don't realize at all that's a plot point until it actually becomes relevant that's a plot point. It's like, oh shit. That's like, like Al Pacino's working in this newsstand handing out papers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Has there been anything in the last like 12 months that's caught your eye in terms of cinema? Oh man, I'm so bad at this because I just watch a bunch of shit. Um, I think 
Honestly, there's been nothing insane that I read. I, I saw. I watched yeah, that was a fucking time. awful question. I was like, what the? I was, I was trying to think. What's the? When's the last time I was in the fucking? Cinema? No, I was. I was going to say that the things I'm watching, all the new stuff, are uh, TV shows. I think TV is becoming the new medium where where artistic stuff has been explored uh, because and probably the problem with films. I love films because they have such a short uh, time span. Those plot points that you see. They become super obvious. I mean, but if you watch a TV show, they can be drawn out and they can be hidden more. And it's to, it's not as uh, it's not as formulaic. Uh, even though if you even if, but even if you, if you watch it over ten hours as opposed to two hours, you can do more with characters and thoughts and stuff. You mean? Uh, so I think TV is where the narrative form, let's say, is going. Uh, but I still have a soft spot for the feature film. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just there's something so good about it. Like, you know, I think everyone loving a lot of the golden age of television. Really, it's like when you see a good film, it, there's nothing like it. It just yeah. it's it's more it's more potent. To me, that's saying there's the problem with television is because it's serialized. Uh, it's there's no payoff. It's, it's like see that there's in again this is kind of screenwriting theory film heals the character's wound, TV keeps them bleeding. Like, wow. So it's because because they want the story to go on to the next, next season. And uh, and so that's why it's so uh, like watching Breaking Bad something it's like you want to watch the next episode, you want to watch the next episode because it's never resolved. It's always just pushed to the next episode. Uh, whereas film there's if it's a good film there is some resolution in some capacity. Uh, so that's why Film is so uh, enjoyable when it's done right. And obviously, then there's the new these the new mini mini series where it's hard with TV is because they want to re up for next season, next season, next season. But if they go in, I think the, the possibly the best form of narrative we have currently is the TV mini series. Would that would that be the likes of like True Detective or? Uh, True Detective is a good one because they, the, each season is kind of standalone. But something like uh, I don't know the Queen's Gambit, uh, where it's, it's essentially where it's a TV show, but there's a defined end when they start. So Queen's Gambit is what six episodes, I remember now. But it's like it's a TV show, but they can do a TV show, but instead of having a character keep leading, they can heal them. I mean, so you get the benefits of both the TV and film in kind of TV form. Obviously, Netflix then don't probably don't want. Uh, Miniseries because then it, if they if they get a hit like Queen's Gambit was a massive hit but now it's done. Do you know what I mean? So it's like oh shit, <laughs> my cash cow it's done. Uh, but I think in terms of just uh, from my perspective in terms of uh, enjoyment as a viewer, that's what I think uh, most enjoyable now. Are you somebody who still physically reads, or do you consume a lot of stuff through different media? Because like I used to read as a child, but it's just. Like I, I'm in the process of trying to retrain myself with stabilizers to read where I'll download an audible and I'll literally sit and somebody will read me the book just because I'm trying to get into that mindset of just look at the fucking book, Kev. I think there's a lot actually. So I was like, firstly, I, I, I kind of, I'm never too harsh on myself. Uh, you know, we've both done an English degree. So I can say to myself, I've read more than 99% of people out there. I've sat in several <laughs> lectures. <laughs> Like I've done a bunch, I've read a bunch of classics on this shit. Like so, like I know I'm ahead of the curve in that regard. 
So I kind of, I pat myself on the back and say, okay, you've, you've done that kind of shit. Uh, I do, you know, I listen to uh, audiobooks and that kind of stuff as well. But I did recently, remember, I remember I actually did this with, I started doing this when, when you were a crash in my place a few those years back. Remember, I, I had the physical book and the audio book in the same book. So, and I put the audio book at two or three times the speed and follow along in the physical book. Because what I found when I'm, I'm like, when I'm, and that, I can remember I read, I read that book, Tribe. I read that in like an hour and a half. I feel, I feel like I've just entered the fucking matrix. I didn't even think of that, speeding it up. That is mind blowing to me. No, and so, obviously, if you listen to a 3X, just by us, just in audio form, it's too much. And if you follow along, uh, in, in, with the text in front of you, then what I found is like all you you can you can follow along and you still get have the comprehension. But what I found is if I'm just reading a book, I kind of it's like this yeah, bigger. So the problem with you, you find this like I'm always doing something now. I'm always listening to something. I'm always watching something. I'm taking a shit. There's something on in the background. There's always something going on around me. And so now when it comes to, if I'm just sitting down to read a book, uh, it doesn't occupy uh, enough of my senses. It doesn't stimulate you enough, like. Well, it's, that's the thing, I need, I need to be over, I need to be overloaded because if I'm not overloaded, then I'll just get distracted and I'll, I'll, I'll turn on a YouTube video. I mean, you can't have two different things at a time. So I found is if you have the audio and the text in front of you, then all your, uh, senses are overloaded and because you're following along with your fingers well you can touch you're engaged you. yeah uh, and and like an hour flies by and then you, you've absorbed like 150 pages of a book you know what I mean uh, so but I but I only did it with obviously non-fiction because I think the joy of fiction is is the reading of it you know what I mean uh, or missing I, I, I when people say like I don't think anything wrong with missing to novel it's the same as reading in my opinion so there is a kind of a snobbery of like oh did you read it or did you listen to it like no i don't really care it's a story like it's, it's fine did you hear the story it's a problem that is my opinion no there is reading does have that kind of where you have stay in your mind a bit more i guess it's more have to absorb it more but if you can get it through audio and see then why that's any less or worse um but yeah, that's right. So I don't know. Yeah, right now I, I don't do the physical uh, and audio book at the moment because it's just too expensive. Essentially, you have to pay twice for every book. And also, one time my brain, my brain almost exploded where, <laughs> where, <laughs> the, where, where the audio book and the physical book weren't exactly lined up. But there are slight differences in the editions. And so as I was reading, it's like there was like one sentence wasn't there. And it's like, there's like, I just went off the rails and it, it, just, it just blew my mind. Uh, so now, yeah, I pretty much predominantly just listen to audiobooks. And also because, because I'm traveling indefinitely, I'm not carrying around physical books with me. Uh, it's just they're too heavy and bulky. Uh, and I've, so I've given away all my possessions like three times now. And like I've given away hundreds of books and it's, it's actually so, so it's like if you ever have this look you have a bunch of books you want to read but you're just not there like they're there but you just 
on a list and you're like, yeah, I'll get them someday. I call it my bookcase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, it's like, so there's, I kind of, I think people keep, hold on to their books because they want to keep, kind of, they, there's two things. There's the books they read and the books they want to read. The books they read, they keep because they kind of, there's a, kind of like, a, almost like a crutch. It's like, I've read those ideas in that book, whatever it is, um, but I need, to, I need to keep the physical book with me just in case someday in the future, you need to look up page 99 and check that quote. You will never check that quote. Just give the book away. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, like, if you read the book, you absorb it. Do you think it's nearly an egotistical thing as well, where it's like you have them on the shelf and it's like if somebody comes into the house, it's nearly like showing people that you mm. have these books and presumably you've read them. Yeah, exactly. That's it's part of it. Like, there's, there's this thing in um, this company in Washington, D.C., you know, uh, all these um, all these news channels where people they would do a Skype call like this, whatever it is, and they they would talk to me and they had the bookcase behind them. Constantly, like, you, you, you know, not you obviously, but I'm saying, saying like on a news channel or a political talk show, they'll, do, they'll Skype in someone's room. There's a bookcase behind them. There's this company in Washington D.C. that curtails what books appear behind a person, so that when they're on camera, people they oh look, they read that book. Oh, it's like, so they, they kind of, this whole industry of people out there who just, they'll, they'll give you a bookshelf of ideas of like portray you as a person to the world. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, so that, that was, in a political sense, that makes you kind of, you can see that. It's like, if you're a political pundit and you have some book behind you that goes against your philosophy, like, oh, you can't have that. What's that, what's that in there, you know what I mean? Uh, so I do think, yeah, I, there is some ego to, I guess, but I don't know. It depends on the person. Like, I mean, I had bookcases for years with books on them. Uh, but yeah, it's sometimes okay. there's this, I think it's more of a possession thing. It's like, I've read those ideas. Those are my ideas. It's like, I want this mm, ownership to them. They're part of they the throw, yeah. throw them away. Yeah. It's like, you, if they are, they're in your head. It doesn't matter. You don't need the book as a kind of a receipt of the idea. Do you mean? Throw the book away and the political pundit point that you mentioned there is quite interesting because like the first thing that I jumped to, like I'd nearly want to see books from the opposite side that somebody's read because it's mm. it's so important to understand both sides of the equation. Like, how can you argue against somebody whose ideas you don't We're talking about US politics here, okay? US yeah, politics. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um you mentioned as well. Oh Irish politics isn't much better. <laughs> Um, you mentioned like one of my favorite books of all time. Like you, you gave it to me as a gift, or maybe you just gave it to me to lend, and I never gave it back to you. Tribe by Sebastian Younger. I fucking love that book. Like, can you remember much of it, or what are your thoughts on his ideas? Yeah, I think it's sort of great book. Uh, well, say yeah, I it's it's very relevant actually for in the COVID age. It's like I think we're all now so isolated, we're all by ourselves almost. Uh, so it's kind of all separate, you know. And also, when it's it's kind of it's relevant in the COVID age, also in like the social media age, where we're all putting putting we're all kind of in these little bubbles and these groups of our identities, rare and these labels, and they're much more easier to be separated out. And so I think that for us, you know, the central thesis of the tribe is that we're all 
searching for this, we, as humans, we search for that tribe where we find meaning in a group, group identity, some capacities. And obviously he was talking about like people in soldiers and how they they form a bond and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think- They're nearly like a community of sufferers. Like mm, yeah. humans are nearly at their best when they have a collective challenge. Yeah. And you know, so I'm, I would say I'm a fairly individualistic person, but uh, when I'm, I can look at myself and say like, for example, I'm true hiking. I think I'm in a little tribe there, do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so, uh, even in terms of online stuff where I'm like top of my gear or whatever else, uh, like, uh, or when I'm actually on certain trails where there's a lot of people, kind of, especially like in the US, on the Appalachian Trail, like they're just trail angels who are people who have hiked the trail before and they come back every year and they set up little stations along the way and they give out food, they cook your burgers and say, what do you need? Like that kind of stuff. Nice. And like people have trail names, people have trail names. So it's uh, you're given like an, essentially a nickname on trail that becomes your your alias. Uh, Did you get one? So, yeah, yeah, I was Sherlock. So I smoked a pipe. Ah, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so, and obviously you can change the name if you want. And then we go to the trail and start getting get a new name. It's kind of it's like uh, that's like a you can find a tribe anywhere. It's like, it's not just in the military area. It's like even hiking on a trail where uh, it's like the trail forms the identity. Where it's like, um, for example, like when you're hiking, when you're doing a long distance hike, you'll see some people every day or like every second day, or whatever. There'll be some people you only meet on one day, and then if you're going in the opposite direction, you still feel a kinship with them. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, like for example, when I was hiking in Ireland, and I told you last time I said I, I met one guy doing the same trail as me going in the opposite direction and like we met each other and immediate it was like we were a power tribe you know what I mean it's like yeah we knew each other um and so I think it's just a uh, natural human tendency but in the current in the current age we're on it's much more forward tribe was literally you're born in a tribe that's it now it's much more nebulous and a tribe can form anywhere it can form on you know subreddit or facebook group or it can form nebulously along a trail uh, for a given reason or it can form in combat or wherever so i think tribe is a great book and i think the central thesis of it is very relevant and true yeah i like i i just constantly refer back to like to understand what the human being is i thought it gave it it gave me such a a level of insight into what we are like when I, when I was reading it, it was one of those books where I felt intrinsically that it made so much sense and that's the fucked up thing with COVID where it's like you do need people you do need to be part of a community and for the last year it just feels like so much of it besides the online has been put on hold yeah I think that's a lot of the frustration is that because yeah we're like we're just across the world being stopped from forming new connections forming new tribes like, I've gotten laid once in the past year. That's, that's not like, <laughs> it's not, it's not like. <laughs> You're like a sexual camel. <laughs> I mean, sexual frustration is a real thing, Kev. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's the thing as well. It's like, like if you're single and then, like, so many uh, ways where you would meet people is suddenly just yeah, exactly. not existent anymore. It's like, what the fuck do you expect people to do? Like, Well, like, even if I... 
could meet someone like I ethically wouldn't almost. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can't. It's around lockdown. And it's like, oh, like, then again, I don't know. Someone said, knock my door, fuck you. Like, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Would I proactively seek it? Who knows? I've been on a one year sexual fast. <laughs> yeah, talking um, 100 hours, fucking year. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope, uh, I hope 2021 is, is more positive in that frame. Uh, Pat, I'm, I'm conscious of your time, but uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again, Pat. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in Mexico. And God knows when we'll see each other again, but fucking hell, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be back in Ireland at some point, I guess. Peace.